The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Every year we have an Adoption Day or an Orphan Sunday, and this year it just so happened that we would do it just a touch earlier than we normally do because in the text that we're looking at, there's a passage about our adoption in Christ. So I hope you will check those out. We're continuing our series in Galatians, our series entitled One, because there is one gospel. And today we're going to be in Galatians 4, 1 through 11. We'll actually start at the end of chapter 3 as we talk about one father. One father. There's there's an interesting word in the Hebrew language, and we've all heard it before, or most of us have, and the word is bar mitzvah. We know it is a celebration that happens on the very first Sabbath after a Jewish boy turns 12. It's a rite of passage into manhood. And when that happens, a father during this ceremony prays for his son who is becoming a man. And he says, blessed be you, O God, who has taken from me the responsibility of this boy. And then his son responds in prayer, Oh my God and God of my fathers. He's declaring that he is owning his religion. Oh my God and God of my fathers. This solemn and sacred day which marks my passage from boyhood to manhood. I humbly raise my eyes unto you and declare with sincerity and truth that henceforth I will keep your commandments and undertake to bear the responsibility of my actions toward you. The word literally means bar mitzvah. It's a son of the law. He is owning that he will follow the law. So in the first century in Paul's world, this would be happening all around in synagogues. People would be aware of this passage from childhood to manhood. It wasn't just something that happened in the Jewish world, though, there were similar ceremonies in the Greek and Roman world. In Greece, parents had a ceremony for their children at age 18 where they would become what was known as a cadet as they spent time serving their country for a couple of years. There was a festival for the boys and they would cut all of their locks of hair off and give them to the gods. It was a clear moment of a boy becoming a man. Romans did this as well for their sons and their daughters, somewhere between the ages of 14 to 18, the child would change from the robe of a child and put on the toga of an adult. They had a ceremony called liberalia, and a girl would take her dolls and a boy would take his toys and they would sacrifice them to Apollo. In the first century, Jewish, Greek, and Roman cultures, there was a time When a child was no longer a child but became a man, we have something similar to that in our culture where at about age 35, men stop playing as many video games, move out of their parents' basement, and get a real job. It's a passage from childhood to adulthood. And so Paul is evoking the language of this and the idea of this as we look in Galatians Today, and we'll even start at the end of Gary's passage where he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Something new is happening. And then he says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise, that promise that God made to Abraham. 
We're all heirs according to it. And then he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, he's really no different from a slave or a bondservant, though he is the owner of everything. There was actually a servant over the servants or a servant over the children as well in Roman life. And this servant, though a slave himself, was in charge of teaching the children, instructing the children, taking care of the children, and even sometimes disciplining the children. And so Paul is going to give this picture of the law as a guardian or a taskmaster or the servant to those who would become heirs. As long as he's a child, he's no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when God sent forth a son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God, we thank You for this reality, for this truth that in Christ we are heirs. We're no longer enslaved as the Jews were enslaved to the law and we as Gentiles were enslaved to the, own, the, the law of our own conscience knowing that our mouths were closed before you because of our sin. God, we thank you for this truth that in Jesus we've been redeemed but not only redeemed, we've been adopted into your family. And we thank you for this truth, God. We pray that it would change the way that we think of you and ourselves and the world you've called us to serve. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's an interesting thing as Paul is using this imagery of being no longer an heir, but now, or no longer a slave, but now a child, that even as an heir, you can't really embrace the promises until you become a man. And then he says, the fullness of time comes. Before this fullness of time has come, it says you're enslaved to the elemental principles of the world or the basic forces literally of the world. There are these laws that are very basic. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, and we try to live according to them. What happens though is that spiritual forces of evil enslave us to these things. The Jews were enslaved to the law that God has given as a good thing. And Gentiles, we were enslaved to our own sin, the law of our own conscience. And here's what happens. These basic forces, these spiritual forces of evil, they use the law that's good and they try to cause us to do two things. Number one, they try to tell us that you don't need God. And number two, they try to tell us that you can't trust God. And this actually, this is a lie that predates the law of Moses and it goes all the way back to the garden where the serpent, the serpent tells Eve two things. He says, surely God didn't say this. Surely you will not die. Rather, you'll become like God. 
And if you become like him, see, you won't need him anymore. You can be righteous on your own. You can get what you want and need on your own. You can find the deepest satisfaction and longings you have on your own. You don't need him. And second, you can't trust him. He's told you you're going to die. Surely you won't die. See, he takes something that's beautiful and he twists it to enslave Adam and Eve. And we know the rest of that story. But even when Adam and Eve became slaves to their own sin, and even when the children of Abraham became slaves to their own sin, God was sending a redeemer. It would be the one who bruised the serpent's head. It would be Abraham's offspring. He would be a prophet like Moses. He would be the son of David. And the people are in a bad, bad place. See, he says you're no longer slaves. You were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And what does a Jew hear when they hear slavery? They would think back to their time in Egypt. And we've got to remember, this is not one book taken up into seven or eight chunks that we're going to preach and teach. It's one book that Paul would have read over about 25 minutes, or he would have had read to the church over about 25 minutes. So there's this connection going on of of who they were and now who we are. And so when he says, why would you go back and enslave yourselves? The Israelites would have thought of Egypt over and over in Exodus and Deuteronomy. They would hear to welcome in the foreigner because you were a foreigner when you were enslaved in Egypt. Take care of the sojourner because you were once a sojourner when you were enslaved in Egypt. But he's not going to tell them about their slavery to Egypt. He's going to tell them about a greater slavery and that's their slavery to sin. So when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son. See, God's the pursuer. We're going to hear that He redeems, that He adopts, that He's the one who knows us. And so the pursuer, the initiator, God sent His Son that He might redeem those under the law because they were slaves to their own sin. Whether that's Jews who were under the written law or Gentiles who were under the law of their own conscience. So they're, pur- they're purchased from slavery. They're purchased from slavery to sin. Now, this might be hard for us to wrap our minds around because because sometimes we just don't think we're that bad. In fact, sometimes even when you hear someone sharing their testimony and you hear someone talking about their salvation story, they'll say, you know, I, I never really was that bad of a person. And I know what they mean, but every time I hear that, I kind of cringe. Because what I, what I think is, yes, we were. We all were. It took the blood of Jesus Christ, Him being tortured and crucified on our behalf. So, here's a reality. Here's a reality. That our sin before holy God is seen just as evil as the sin of people we would think of as the worst people in the world. Adolf Hitler, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy, whatever political candidate you happen to hate. Let me be very offensive to all of us this morning and say, 
that the blood of Jesus Christ was just as necessary for cleansing of your sin and my sin as it was for their sin. I'd never be good enough for God to save then. That's absolutely right. If we were good enough, we wouldn't need a Savior. We wouldn't need a Redeemer. We wouldn't need to be purchased out of sin. But we do need that. Ephesians 1.7 says it like this, In Him we have redemption. We've been purchased. The forgiveness of our trespasses. We're lawbreakers according to the riches of His grace. It's according to the riches of His grace. See, it's not just us that didn't think we're slaves to sin. The Jews didn't think they were slaves to sin either. Jesus was sharing with a crowd of Jewish people in John chapter 8, and He said, if you abide in Me, and My Word abides in you, then you'll know the truth. You're truly My disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And the Israelites said, we're Abraham's children and we've never been enslaved to anyone. Now that's an interesting statement. Because it, it tells me this, they had forgotten their own story. Because they had been slaves for 430 years in Egypt. And they had forgotten their story. And so Jesus said, truly, truly I say to you, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so he came to redeem us. He came to redeem us. But he didn't just come to redeem us. Redemption changes our legal status, but it's not an end in and of itself. He came to redeem us that we might receive adoption as sons, according to verse 5. That we might be welcomed into the family. This is language that Paul loves. He says it three times explicitly in lots of other places, implicitly in his letters. He says it in Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. It's according to the purpose of his will. It was his idea to the praise of his glorious grace. It's about his reputation with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Our adoption is in Christ. And by the way, in Ephesians, this is not the only adoption language. If you keep reading in Ephesians 1 two more times, you'll hear about our inheritance as the adopted children of Christ. In Ephesians 2, you'll hear about our family of origin. We were children of wrath. We were the sons of disobedience. In Ephesians 5.1, you'll hear, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love. See, we are in the family. He says it this way in Romans, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. God didn't say, hey, you're saved, now go follow the law again. Good luck with that. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. God. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture. And then again in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, there's this silence for 400 years and then 
the Messiah burst onto the scene. It was the fullness of time. Chronologically, the whole world needed a Savior. It was the fullness of time. Geographically, the Roman Empire had made these roads, these highways where the gospel could go to all the world. It was the fullness of time. Culturally, the the Roman Empire spoke a common language in Greek. The gospel, the good news that Jesus is Lord, could spread when the fullness of time came. He's the pursuer. Before we were born, before we had ever done anything right or wrong, God sent his son. He sent him to adopt those from a different culture than he was from, and he sent him at great cost to himself. See, when when Laura and I, April 28th, 2009, Agreed, we're going to start pursuing adoption. John Elliot Yezakuzwe Bowers, who we call Jeb, because that's not quite as much of a mouthful, he wasn't even born. He wasn't conceived. On April 29th, 2009, when we filled out paperwork, we didn't know that it would be two years to the day that we would meet a little 13 and a half pound, seven month old boy who was our child. I can tell you, we pursued and we filled out paperwork and we did home studies to make sure that our house was okay to bring a child into, even though we'd already brought two into it biologically and they were doing okay. (laughs) And then we saved money and then actually some of you gave money to help us make this adoption a reality. And then we traveled over to Rwanda and we stood before a judge And he asked, do you agree that you'll be this child's parents forever? And we said, yes, absolutely. Jeb couldn't, he couldn't do a thing. He was seven months old. He was hearing some of the first English he had ever heard and bad English with an accent at that. And you know, I've been to Rwanda several, several times. And whenever I've had any interaction with any local government or state government or national government authority, by and large, it's been really, really great. But after we got the paperwork from that judge, we had everything we needed. We and eight other families had followed the law to a T, and these children legally were ours. We just needed one more piece of paper to get out of the country, and there were two people. Again, all my interaction with the government of Rwanda has been so amazing, but these two people did not want to give us the papers we needed to travel. And we didn't understand why. And finally, it came to a head where we had said, we're really ready for these and we're going to take our children home. And there's myself and this other guy who's a doctor from Tennessee standing there. And this guy's just shaking his fist in our face, telling us, you can't have it. And, and we just calmly, kind of... <laughs> said, these are our children, and we're taking them home, and there's nothing you can do about it. And within about eight hours, we had our papers, and we were praising God. I had some sand in my eyes, even. We got on an airplane, and we came home, and we stood before customs, and and there's a red line, and the officer said, when you cross that line, this is not only your son, he's an American citizen, And see, there was a code that stood against us. And Jesus, in a much greater way, traveled much further and at much 
greater cost, a much harder work of living a sinless life, suffering in every way as we have yet without sin, died on a cross and rose from the dead to bring God's children home. And there is nothing, if you are in Christ, that anyone in heaven, on earth, or under the earth can do about that at all. You are, we are His children. Our status has changed, not just legally, but in a familial sense. J.I. Packer says it this way. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He, that's God, the sovereign one, establishes us as his children and heirs. There's closeness, affection, generosity. They're at the heart of the relationship to be Right with God the judge, justification is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a picture of my family. Last time I did this, the lights went out, so you guys get ready, okay? <laughs> so here's my family, and we've got Mac right here, and then I'm the ugly one next to him, and then we've got... Nate, and then Maddie, and then Jeb, and then Will, and then Laura's the pretty one on the end here. And so here, so here's Maddie and Will. Isn't Maddie good looking? She's beautiful, isn't she? Amen. So, as you might guess, but in case some of you are from Arkansas, Maddie's biological and Will's adopted, okay? (laughs) So, sometimes people will see me and Laura, they never ask when we're out with Maddie, um, do you have any children of your own? Because we, I mean, she's prettier than me, looks more like her mama, but maybe you can see a little bit here, right? But often when we're out with our adopted kids, people will say, do you have any children of your own? And we say, yeah, we have five. No, but I'm, I mean, do you have any real ones? And you can think, he's not plastic, right? <laughs> no, no. See, there's not one that's loved any more than the other unless I want some chips and hummus and they bring it to me. <laughs> then that's the favorite of the day. But the reality is when you look at all five kids. They all have equal rights. They're all really our children. They're all our heirs. If I died today, they would all get two (laughs) dollars. See, this is my daughter, and then I've got, I would have brought all five up, but you can go to the circus later, okay? (laughs) This is my daughter, and this is my son, and I, I love them both the same, both dearly. All right, buddy. There you go. There you go. Here's what... Here's what you need to hear, though. That that God's adoption of us is not a picture of that. That's a really dim picture of this amazing love. Amazing love. See, nobody ever asked God, do you have any children of your own? Because we're all in Christ. We are all His. And His love 
His love for us is so amazing. I want to tell you this morning, if you don't know God is Redeemer and God is Father, you need to come into the family. He sent His Son to die and raise from the dead so that you could. Well, after He uses this adoption language, He goes really even further to show us how much He loves us. In verse 9 He says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back? How can you turn back to these things? That word know or known is to know intimately. In the Jewish world, it's an idiom for a man having intercourse with his wife. The most intimate of knowledge. Now that you have come to be known by God. That's what eternal life is according to Jesus. In John 17, 4, he says, This is eternal life the night before he died, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. That's eternal life. But now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles? He uses that phrase again. To the weak and worthless basic forces of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. How can you turn back? We have come to be known by God, so how can you turn back? He's evoking this language again. You were slaves in Egypt and now we're slaves to sin. We've come to know. How can you turn back? Are you like the Israelites in the wilderness? Headed to the promised land and you're screaming to Moses? We want to go back to Egypt. You want to go back to slavery? How can you turn back? What were they turning back to? Maybe the Galatians who were Gentiles were turning back to specific idols that they worshipped. Maybe they were being compelled to be circumcised by these Judaizers that Paul had called out in chapter 2. How can you turn back? Maybe they were Jews who were separating table fellowship from the Gentiles like Peter was. How can you turn back? There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free. We're all one in Christ. How can you turn back? He says, you're observing these days, these festivals, these feasts. The law was good, but it's worthless as a Savior. How can you turn back? So he says, don't turn back. Don't turn back to these things. When we turn back and hope in anything but Jesus for our salvation, three things happen. One is the things we turn to leave us unsure of the love of God. I'll turn back to this law, and maybe if I'm good enough, He'll love me. But did I perform well enough today? Or am I accepted in the Beloved? Did I work hard enough today for God to love me? Or am I really one of His children? They leave us unsure of the love of God. Number two, they leave us either in pride or in despair. We start doing really, really good. That's the odd thing about laws and lists. We make a list of sins that are really bad and a a list of sins that are not really a big deal. Those are usually the ones we struggle with. And we're, we're 
tend to be prideful about the things we're doing well, and we tend to look down on others who have a different sin struggle than we do. They leave us prideful, or they leave us in despair because we just look at this law and we realize, I'll never do this. I'm lustful, I'm greedy, I'm prideful, I'm jealous, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm a glutton, I'm a drunkard. I'll never do that. There's no hope for me. Well, there's not in the law. Because no one's made right by the law, but there is in the blood of Jesus Christ. The third thing they do is they move us toward tribalism and away from unity. We connect with those who are like us, who talk like us, dress like us, act like us, and think like us. And we begin to think that even in the church, there's Jews and Greeks and slave and free. Don't turn back to those things. Don't turn back, Paul says. They're weak and they're worthless. When we don't turn back, when we don't turn back, we rest in our identity as the children of God. We rest in our identity as the children of God. We know that we're His. We're accepted in the Beloved. And that impacts how we love Him and how we love others. When we don't turn back, we seek to be humble because we know the law can't save us. And we seek to be hopeful because we know that Jesus has and he's coming back for us and the spirit which causes us to cry out Abba Father testifies he's not going to leave us as orphans and then number three we remember that our brothers and sisters actually are our brothers and sisters and we treat them like that we love one another See, that's the perfect law of liberty that fulfills the law of Christ, that we serve one another in love. Paul says, otherwise, I'm afraid that I've labored in vain. He says, don't let me have labored in vain for you, Galatian church. Hope in this one gospel. Hope in your redemption and your adoption. So how can we reflect the adopting love of God in our generation? How can we do this? How can we do this? Well, one of the ways you can do this is that you can, you can foster or you can adopt. You can welcome children into your family and it can be a dim reflection of this great love God has had for us. That's not the only way. There are a bunch of attorneys who November 17th will, will work as part of Adoption Day in Bell County and they'll... They'll use the gifts and skills that God has given them to help children come into families. You can labor for children and reflect the love of God through being a court-appointed special advocate or a CASA. There's a, one of our county judges has mentioned to, uh, to someone in our body, and I hear it over and over and over, just about every time I, I swear in people to be CASAs or court-appointed special advocates, there's somebody from TBC there. I love hearing that. A court-appointed special advocate is not fostering children, not adopting children, though you can again, okay? But a court-appointed special advocate is an advocate for a child in the foster system, not representing the birth family or original family and not representing foster parents, but looking out for the best interest of those children. It takes a few hours out of your month, and it is a great way to care for children who are caught in a system. One of the things we do every year around this time is we take up an offering to help our Ukrainian sister churches and Rwandese sister churches as they care for orphans in their city. Our Ukrainian churches do a food drive, a present drive, very similar to what we do 
for vulnerable children in their city. Our, our Rwandan churches, they get health insurance, $5 a year, get someone health insurance in rural Rwanda, or they get school fees for children in Rwanda. If you want to help that way, you can just today make checks to TBC and put Rwanda orphan care or Ukrainian orphan care, and 100% of that will go to help them. You can pray for those adopting. You can bring meals to those who've just brought children in, just like you would to a family who's just brought a child in through birth. You can work with single moms. There's a shelter in our city who does just that. You can work with Hope Pregnancy Center. All kinds of ways, all kinds of ways that we can do this. Today, if, if you have adopted or you are adopting or you or adopted, or maybe you're a birth mom who bravely and boldly chose adoption. We want to pray for you this morning. So I'm just going to ask you, if you fit into one of those categories, would you stand? Maybe you're licensed for foster care and you're fostering. Maybe you've adopted. Go ahead and stand. Maybe you are adopted. Maybe you are in the process. Maybe you're a a birth mom. We just want to pray for you and thank you. God, we thank you for your mercy and love. God, we thank you for those in our body who are doing this brave and bold work of adoption. God, we thank you for those who are adopted and the privilege that we have of having them as part of our church body. God, we thank you for birth mothers who've made the brave and bold choice to place their children in loving families. And God, I thank you for those folks outside, Candace with the Child Welfare Board and Skeeto with Giacosta Foundation, Brittany Norman who's out there with AGCI, and then the the representative from Generations, that they are facilitating great and good work for the body of Christ to do. But God, most of all, we thank you for your Son who redeemed us from under the law. And we thank you for your great love and how you've brought us into your family. God, help us to walk in our identity as adopted children of the King. Help us to be transformed by that truth and to share that truth with others this week. In Jesus' name, amen.